This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for August 21st, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. The message is by Father Ron Baird. This morning's Gospel lesson, Jesus has taken his disciples into the region called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the northeast part of um, Israel, unlike last week when I said that the opposite side was the northeast, that was the northwest. I had my east and west mixed up. Seas on the west. <laughs> this is in, um, near Mount Hermon um, and near Syria, in, in that area, in what is now the Golan Heights, as a matter of fact. So here he is standing here, and Caesarea Philippi was a Greek city that had been uh, built by uh, Herod the Great, and it had um, it was known particularly for its cultural influence, and there were lots and lots of, of what they called churches in those days, temples. And you can still go there today and see the street where all these temples were. Um, it was, it's actually called Banis now, um, after the god Pan. Remember the god Pan? He was half goat and half man. And the reason why was that he had been worshipped at that place for a long time. There's a big cavern sort of a, a big cavern into the rock with a spring in it. And it was believed that that was where Pan lived. And so shepherds would come. Seems to make sense that the shepherds would worship a, a half sheep, half God man, or half man God, wouldn't it? And so um, they would come there and they began to establish a, a, a center of worship for him. So when Herod decided to build a, a city like this that seemed like a natural place because people were already coming to this place. It was a source of water um, and, and a natural place to build the city. And around that great big cavern is where this street grew up. And there were all these different, you know, um, temples on it. There was a temple to Caesar Augustus, and there was a temple. My favorite one was the Temple of the Dancing Goats, which was all the way down on the end. I always figured that's where all the action was. I mean, you got the dancing goats going on down there. Must have been a fun place. But there, you know, there must have been 20 places to worship God or a God on this one street. And so here Jesus is, and you kind of have to picture this. These are all like people who came in from out in the countryside who don't go to the big city. They probably looked a lot like me in New York City, sort of shell-shocked by what was going on with the number of people. And so they're all standing there, and all these people are coming to worship all of these gods. And it is there where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, we know that the Son of Man is another term for Jesus, don't we? I mean, so we tend to read it that way. But there's another use of the Son of Man in Scripture. In Daniel, the Son of Man is talked about frequently. And, and sometimes, even in earlier Scriptures, it's used meaning just a mortal person. But in Daniel, it's an apocalyptic figure, someone who is being sent by God to restore Israel to uh, the wholeness to which he had intended for it, who was going to save and redeem Israel. And so the Son of Man is, is a Hebrew term. It's sort of uh, slang or cryptic, meaning the Messiah, the Mashiach, um, the anointed one of God. And so that's who Jesus asked. And now we know that he is the Messiah, um, but they hadn't really gotten that far yet. And so Jesus asked them a, a philosophical, theological question in the midst of all of these temples. 
that are going on. And so that, you know, they're a lot like you all are. When I start asking you questions, they start throwing out the answers. So if you don't like that method, blame Jesus. He started. Um, but he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And some of them say, well, some people said that he's Elijah. Well, some people said John the Baptist was the Son of Man. And so, you know, they're all throwing out all these answers. And then Jesus changes the question to say, but who do you say that I am? Now, that's an interesting way of putting it, too. Because the word I am in Hebrew is also the name of God. Who do you say that I am? And so here Jesus is saying this, kind of giving him a hint, yes. Who do you say that I am? You can sort of see all the disciples get real quiet. You you have to wonder what was going on in their mind. Did some of them want to say the answer, but... Oh, well, if I say the wrong one, that's going to be bad. <laughs> or did they think, who does he think he is? Or, or what? And Peter, being Peter, Peter always does this, blurts out right off the bat, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, what's interesting about that is that, that second part of it, the Messiah part, you can sort of guess because he's been asking about who do people say the Messiah is. And so Peter's saying, you're the Messiah. But the son of the living God is a really foreign concept to Jews. There is only one God. He didn't have kids like all the Greeks did and the Greek gods did. So to say you are the son of the living God is taking this a step further. He's really saying you are God. You are the Messiah. You are God. And you can imagine the disciples' reaction at that. They probably were in shock. I said, oh, good grief. Now, to get a sense of that, can you imagine if I said to you, who do you all think I am? And one of you stood up and said, you're the second coming of Christ. Wouldn't you all be like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like David Koresh time. We got a cult going on here. I mean, what's next, Kool-Aid? I mean, you know, the whole thing would come in. Well, to a great extent, it must have been like that somewhat for the disciples, too, because, I mean, God is God, and this was Jesus. You know, he was a person. It was shocking to them. And Jesus' response to Peter is even more shocking, because what he says is, it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you. It wasn't human wisdom that told you about this, Peter. It was God himself who revealed this to you. And because of this, I have renamed you Peter. His name was Simon. Petros, it's interesting because he's in a city um, that is Greek by nature and uh, in front of lots and lots of of a mountain cliff, really, rock. You know, and, and all the altars were made out of rock. And he says, you will be the rock upon which I build my church. Now, a lot of people in history thought that that meant that the first pope of Rome got to be the rock upon which Jesus built his church. Um, I often think that they should pay more attention to what Peter is generally doing before they jump into that because he tends to jump, well, he puts on his clothes, gets in the water, you know, says, tell me to get out of the boat, all these dumb things he does. But it, that isn't what the rock that Jesus is talking about is. 
the rock that he's talking about is the faith that Peter had. He was the one who didn't stop and say, does this make sense? Gee, how could God be a human being? Gee, I wonder how this is going to go over with everybody around me. Gee, I wonder if I'm going to be very popular when all this is done. You know, Peter is the epitome of that childlike faith. He just is who he is. And Jesus said it's, it's that kind of faith, that sort of just go with it faith upon which I will build my church. And I tell you, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and anyone who you bind on earth will be bound, and anyone you loose on earth will be loosed. Now, for a lot of clergy, they would like to say, well, as the heirs of the apostles, we now have the authority to you know, retain your sins or to, um, to uh, you know, forgive you of your sins, as though somehow or other that exists within a human being. That's not at all true, by the way, because if you read on later on, he also gives in Luke the same, um, same sort of thing to all of the disciples, the 70 who are gathered and all sorts of people. What it means is that Peter is now living in, if you will, a different way of looking at the world. When he said that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he did not see that with conventional human wisdom. He didn't see that the way we normally think about things. He saw it through the power of God's Holy Spirit because there was no other way that it could have been revealed to him. It was just something that came over him. It wasn't his doing, it was God's. And it was Peter's willingness to allow God to do that, to just naturally let it happen. That is the faith upon which we will build the church. And that's how you know whether or not you have the authority to forgive sins. How do you have the authority to, who forgives sins? God forgives sins. So you have the authority to forgive sins when God says their sins are forgiven. You have the authority to say your sins are retained when God says, no, they haven't gotten there yet. Those are retained. It doesn't exist in a human it exists in God. The question is, is whether or not we as humans prefer to be only human or prefer to exist in God. See the difference? Paul puts it another way. Might make it easier. He says to you, and basically talking to how, how do you get to where Peter is? He wasn't using that example exactly, but it's what he's talking about. He says, present yourselves, therefore, as a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God. Now, we hear those words in the Eucharist, don't we? We say, here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God. We're not just offering up bread and wine when we do the Eucharist. We're offering us to God. That's what it means to present yourself to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. What would be a reasonable sacrifice to you? I mean, you haven't thought about that all morning? <laughs> I'm shocked. What does reasonable mean? Hmm? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> what would you say? 
acceptable? If someone says, I want you to do something, if you say, well, that's reasonable or that's not reasonable, what are you basing it on? Yeah, I mean, is it something that's worth the effort for what's being asked, right? And so that's the kind of reasonable that Paul's talking about, is present yourself as a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God. Present yourself as someone for whom what God has done, what he is now asking of you, is worth it makes sense to you. I can do that. And then he says how you do this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures. Do not be conformed to this world. What does it look like to be conformed to the world? Not too good? <laughs> Go along with everybody else? I mean, what is it? What Selfish? Yeah, I say all those are being conformed. I'm not sure all that's being conformed to the world. I'm, does the world approve of selfish people? I mean, if, if reputation, your reputation gets out that you're selfish, would... would Yeah, but would the world go, yeah, right on. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be. See, probably not. I mean, most people go, That's selfish. I mean, when we call somebody selfish, we don't mean it in a positive way, do we? I mean, it's a negative thing. And when we say that's really bad to be conformed to the world, well, the world wouldn't think so. The world would think it's good. To be conformed to the world means let's see, to work hard, get ahead. Make money, not not necessarily you know an unreasonable amount of money, but but enough money certainly that you don't have to depend on other people. Abide by the law, do what you're told. Hmm? Drive a new car, <laughs> or at least a newer car, right? Get out of my way. <laughs> you're on a driving metaphor, aren't you? <laughs> What kind of clothes would you wear? <laughs> Conservative? Yeah, it depends on your group, doesn't it? I mean, if you are hanging out with people who are into tattoos and things like that, have you ever noticed that people who hang out with people who are into tattoos tend to do what? They get tattooed, don't they? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I mean, and people who like to dress... Um, in, in expensive designer brand labels and to hang out with people who want to dress. And, you know, to be conformed to the world is to be influenced by the people around you, to do the things that are expected of you, you know, to, to go along and get along. Don't rock the boat. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean being evil. It mostly means be passive and consume what it is that we tell you is important. And it permeates our entire existence. It is drilled. We aren't born this way, by the way. I don't know if you know. Have you ever met a two-year-old that is conformed to the world? Really? They usually don't get it at all. I mean, they're going to... 
right? I always love them in church because, you know, people in church always wonder, what's the matter with those two-year-olds? Why don't they know how to behave? And I think it's because they're two. I mean, <laughs> actually, they do know how to behave. They're two. <laughs> you know, what we really mean by it is, why don't they behave like we've been taught you were supposed to behave? Do you know where you were taught to behave that way? Mom and dad? School. Remember, they don't do it as much anymore. Remember the rows of desks? Remember you were assigned a desk? Imagine if you went in one day and thought, I don't really like sitting here. The window's over. I'm going to move. I'm going to move over there. I'm not sitting over here. <laughs> you might do it once, yeah. I mean, they'd be going, who do you think you are? And, and for a lot of people, I mean, one of the experts at conformism is the military. Has anybody here been in the military? How do they do with people who march to a different drum? <laughs> Either get rhythm or else you're gone, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't do things your way in the military. I mean, I don't care how funny we like, you know, Sad Sack and all the different cartoons and movies of Mikhail's Navy and TV shows, but, but, I mean, you conform. They even go out of their way to help you to do it. You know how they do that? You march some more. Well, that's one way. Yeah, marching. But there's one particular way that they all do it. Haircut, well, they do that too, but there's even a more distinctive way because the women don't have the same hair. Your uniform, yeah. You look alike. Isn't it interesting that that's really popular in schools right now? You know, why do we do that? Because we want them to conform to the standards that we've established. Now, you could say that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it depends. I mean, obviously, in some cases, the way people aren't conforming in schools isn't working real well. <laughs> it's causing all kinds of problems. But either way, it's a way in which the world says, fit in. Now, it's kind of funny because, to me, you realize that even kids who are in gangs and wear all this stuff, you do realize that they are wearing a uniform, though, and they are conforming. And the only difference is they're not conforming to the adults. <laughs> they're conforming to other adolescents. And yet Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. What ways do you conform to the world? Politeness, you know, that's a big one, isn't it? I mean, there's a limit to how much people will tolerate. Did you ever, when you were a little kid, did you ever go up to anybody in the grocery store and say, lady, why are you so fat? <laughs> or have your kid do it? <laughs> I mean, your parents were mortified. <gasps> you don't say that. Okay. Apparently, that's not right. Have you all seen that commercial with the baby who's it's an investor thing? <laughs> Apparently, it's unacceptable in this establishment to ride the dog like a horse. <laughs> no, probably not. Be conformed. Be like we are. And then, ultimately, what happens is, is that sometimes we even lose our identity in doing that. Some of us embrace it. 
and do it well. Some people get lost in it altogether. Well, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. If you notice, by the way, he isn't going to say, do not be conformed to anything. But he said, do not be conformed to this world. Why would he say, do not be conformed to this world? We're not meant for this world? Our destination? Well, it's not going to last, is it? I mean... (laughs) You could be conformed to the world, but the world's going to pass away, which means, guess what? You get to go too. You're gone. I mean, what, what good would that be? What would it have looked like if the disciples standing there in the midst of Caesarea Philippi, all these temples around them, if, if you'd really wanted to be conformed to this world, what would Philip have done? Yeah, you know, if I'd been Philip, I'd have been down at the Dancing Goats. I mean, <laughs> that's where the action is. Huh? I mean, what in the world do you want to stay here for? They would have wanted to fit in. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Caesarea, do as the Caesareans do, right? Try to fit in. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Rather, be transformed. Now, what does it mean to be transformed? Changed? Complete change, yeah. I mean, we're doing a, an experiment. You can read about it in the newsletter where they've t- gotten some monarch butterfly larvae, and they're they're growing them. They should grow them um, in a little container in the Sunday school, so that the kids can watch the process from moving from larvae to butterfly, and how that all changes. Well, butterfly is a long-term symbol of the resurrection because of this. That's a transformation, isn't it? The word is metamorphos. We know what metamorphosis is. It means change, transform. So do not be conformed to this world, but metamorphize by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean, renewing of your mind? How do I get, you know, do you go in and plug in somewhere and, you know, get a reboot or what? I mean, how do you, what does it mean to have your mind renewed? Well, Paul goes on to say it. He says, so that you may know what is acceptable to God. How would you know what was acceptable to God as you conduct your life in the world? Hmm? He'll tell you, but only if you've let go. You see, what he's saying here is, do not be conformed to this world, be conformed to the kingdom of God. Do not be conformed to the ways of the world, be conformed to what God wants. Because in that is life. And the renewing of your mind literally means that you can now see things differently than you saw them before. Have you ever discovered you know, for years and years and years, you never understood something, and suddenly, it's like a light turned on, you go, oh, that explains that. Now I get it. That's the kind of transformation that Paul's talking about. Metanoia is the word for it in the Greek. It means to see things from a new perspective. But now the perspective is God's perspective. You see things the way God sees them. You see other people 
the way God sees them. They no longer are your annoying brother-in-law. Now they are a child of God. They no longer are your stupid spouse. They now are a child of God. They're no longer your children who won't listen. They are now a child of God. And when you begin to see the world that way, how would you respond? But how? I mean, what would you do? How would you treat them? The way God would treat them, right? Because now you see through your father's eyes. This is why Simon's name was changed to Peter. Because what he saw when he looked at Jesus, when Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? It was not Jesus from Galilee, from Nazareth. What he saw was the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, Peter, but rather my father in heaven. Why did he change his name? It was a common practice in Israel um, to get a new name um, when something happened. We have Abram becomes Abraham, um, Jacob becomes Israel. I mean, it happens a lot, but basically it's because a transformation has happened within you and you are not the same person that you were before. You now are, are a new identity. And that's part of what I want to ask you to end with today. You go back a long time ago, the people who knew you back when, would they recognize you? <clears throat> would they know you? Would you still be the same person to them? I mean, I can tell you, if I went to my high school reunion, I'm not going to bother to figure out how many years that would be, but um, <laughs> I don't know that anybody would even have a clue who I was. I mean, I'm such a different person now than I was then. I think differently. I do things differently. I mean, I, I, I approach life completely differently. I mean, I was working very hard to be a hippie. I was. I used to walk around in a sweatshirt, blue jeans, uh, boots with fringe on them, and, a, and an army fatigue jacket. That was my standard outfit every day, no matter what. And my hair was down to here. And frequently, it's hard for me to picture too, but unfortunately I have flashbacks and remember it. So, <laughs> uh, And, and I, what I was in for was, was fun. You know, I didn't care about people or things. I cared about fun. I cared about people if they could help me have fun. But that was really about it. I used to love sitting behind Nancy Kidwell in French class and regaling her with my accounts of how, how stoned I got over the weekend and all the stupid things we did because she was just this really nice girl. <laughs> and she was always mortified and shocked. <sighs> at, at, how could you do such a thing? I'd love to, in some ways, see Nancy Kidwell again and wear my collar <laughs> and walk in. She wouldn't believe it, I don't think. I don't think they would know. And, and it even has come true for me in terms of my name. When I was a, a kid, I was Ronnie. Matter of fact, if, if you run into any of my cousins or anything, they still, if they see me, they would call me Ronnie. That's what they know me as, is Ronnie. Nobody 
apart from the bishop, and it irritates me a little bit, calls me, <laughs> calls me Ronnie anymore. And because that's not who I am anymore. I have been changed. Not because of my own doing, my own ability. We saw where my own abilities were leading, didn't we? But rather through God. Because suddenly I was able to see the world through different eyes. Not the eyes that I had been given in birth, but the eyes that I was given in new birth. That's the faith upon which Christ will build his church. Not your ability to be smart and figure things out, but your ability to see the world through God's eyes. Your ability to see people through God's eyes. Your ability to see decisions through God's eyes. And to act accordingly. If you want to have the kind of power the apostles had, the way that comes to you is not through somehow or other getting smarter and doing better, but rather through giving up and letting God in. That's what we ask you to be praying every Sunday as we come to this altar. Become what you eat. To present yourself as a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God. What part of you should you represent to God? Yourself. What part of yourself? Now, your soul and body, right? Look, I'll give you my soul, God. The body I'm keeping for a while. The same thing with your entire life. Your car, your house, your marriage, your kids, your finances, any part of it. Stop seeing it the way the world sees it. And begin to see it through God's eyes. It all belongs to him. Every bit of it. And when you do that, then for good or ill, you're going to become a lot more like Peter. And say things that shock people. That surprise people. They're going, how could you say that? But also things that people find later to be amazing and wonderful. I imagine the apostles at that time, it's interesting, we don't really hear the apostles. The only story we hear about what happened in all that afterwards is that the apostles were arguing on the way back to Jerusalem about who was the greatest among them. Now, after Peter's big show, you know, now they suddenly don't like it that Peter got the answer right. And so now they're jockeying for position, you know, in, in the midst of that. I suspect at the moment they were just like, I can't believe he said that. What's he trying to do, puff up his ego or something? Is he trying to get in on the inside? But Peter wasn't trying to do that. Peter was being Peter. It came into his head and came out of his mouth. And fortunately, it came from God. Later in the story, we see where he forbids Jesus to be crucified. Does that can't happen to you that somebody else put a thought in his head that came out of his mouth and Jesus rebukes that. But he has a childlike faith that trusts in God. And so this week, as you, as you go about your daily life, ask yourself in all the things you do, you're brushing your teeth. Do I use this toothpaste because I'm conformed to the world? Did you ever wonder that? Why do I use the toothpaste I use? I mean, why do I do this? Why do I do that? 
And then ask yourself, if I were to give this to God, I wonder what he would do with it. I wonder how he would change it. Begin to be amazed at the real world that opens up before you. Amen. You have just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.